Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life, so we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. I love kids. I love kids of all ages. Rebecca and I started off doing youth camp ministry, and I went to uh, Bible college to be a youth pastor, and I've always just had a love for kids of all ages. In fact, you may have seen me sneak out of big church, that's what this is called to them, and go back and hang out in kids ministry and just spend time with three-year-olds or in kids church or whatever. And the truth is, is that kids crack me up. Your kids crack me up. They're hilarious. Not too long ago, Kids Church uh, had this game going on, and they were playing charades. And so they had this little boy, and he, he was there, and, and they brought him over the card uh, of the thing that he needed to try to act out in the charades game. And so he looks at it, and it's, it's a bear, okay? A bear. And so they're getting ready, and it's always girls against boys. And so he's getting ready. He's like, ready, ready, ready. And they're like, go. And he goes, look, 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 look. And they're like, no, no, not beer, bear, bear. <laughs> like, only at fellowship, right? <laughs> Several years ago, at like in 20 years ago, uh, we had our youth ministry and our children's ministry downtown because we were uh, meeting at the Avalon Theater while our first building out here was being built. And at the Avalon, uh, we had our kids next door in the Doo Zoo. Do you remember that? Were you guys here when we had our kids in the doo Okay, the doo was not very nice, and uh, we didn't have a lot of children's workers at the time, and our children's ministry just wasn't real strong. I mean, it was adequate, uh, but most of the classrooms were very, very full with not enough workers. So we did this thing where we're like, you know what? Our small groups, our sports teams, we, you know, we want you guys to sponsor a class once a month and, and just come and, and, and help the teacher out on those uh, particular weeks. And so we did that. We implemented that, and and it worked, worked pretty good for a while. And so uh, anyway, so my particular, I had a softball team at the time. And so my softball team volunteered to take the three-year-old class uh, one Sunday morning. And so we're in there. And we're just having fun with the kids. And we're just playing. And a mother drops off this three-year-old. And she is, oh, she's so cute. And she gets in there. But she just doesn't know about all the stuff that's happening in there. Because honestly, it was crazy. I mean, Living the Vita Loca. That's what's going on in the three-year-old classroom. And the kids are just running around, chasing each other and stuff. And i kind of watching her, just making sure that she's okay. And she seems like she's doing a little bit better. So I think, okay, that's good. And then we get about halfway in the class, and she starts walking over to me. And she does this. And I'm thinking, oh, she's going to come over and, you know, have a sweet question. Or, or maybe ask for a snack. Or maybe need to go to the bathroom or something. And so I kneel down, and she looks at me, and she goes, you got to get me out of here. So kids crack me up, and I love them. I love, I love kids. And, and as much as I love kids, man, you just multiply that when you think about how much you love your own children. And it is amazing that when you have your own child, how much you love them and right after birth. 
You don't even know them yet. But there is something in you that just brings about this spark of love, ignites this love in your heart for this, this precious little creation. And I think we can all think back to the times, those of us that have kids, of what it was like when our, our spouse had that baby in those first days. And so what I did is I, I pulled up a video. And, and in this video, it's, it's, Lindsay, it's me and it's Lindsay. And she's about, oh, two. And then Madeline had just been born. Uh, Lindsay might be almost three in this. And so we're sitting in the hospital room. And uh, I'm helping Lindsay hold Madeline. And the amount of just love that's in this little triangle is just precious. I want to show it to you. She keeps saying, it's okay. It's okay. What's your name, Mommy? What's this? It's okay. It's okay. What's your name? Yes, the baby. What's your name? Uh-huh. Yeah, older. What's your name? It's okay. It's okay, the Mommy. What's your name? What's your name, Mommy? And your shirt. your sister, Lindsay? Isn't that precious? We all have times like that. You see my earring? <laughs> I look like a pirate. So we think about that and we can relate to the love that we have for our own children. But when it comes to the Heavenly Father's love for us, we struggle with that. We, tr- we struggle with understanding His great love for us. And the truth is, is that love He has for us is so much greater than the love we even have for our own children. But as we grow up and and go through life, we make mistakes, we maybe take a few wrong turns along the way, we just don't get the fact that God still loves us. And not just loves us as a group, not just loves us as Christians, but loves us individually. Individually. He loves me. There's some things in the Bible that kind of point the way to understanding how much God loves us. And the first is is that he made us and loved us from the beginning. Psalms 139.13 says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. 
Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God loved you from the beginning. God loved you in the womb. God loved you as a baby, not a fetus in your mother. He created you there. He made you there. He made you magnificently in there. And he loved you from the beginning. Now, as Christians, we know uh, that, that he also gave his son to die for us, right? And, he, and that's number two, is that he gave his life to spend eternity with us. So he knew us from the beginning, then he makes this awesome sacrifice on our behalf. John 3.16 in the message translation says, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one would need to be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. You can't skip over that, but I think so many times we do because we think, well, you know, he died because he had to give his life for all mankind. And so that sacrifice was worth it. But God would have given his life for you. Just for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants to spend forever with you. He gave his son. You think about that. I mean, could you give your son or daughter for somebody else? A person sitting next to you? Maybe this entire auditorium? Maybe another friend or loved one? Could you give your son or daughter for an enemy? Yet God did. He did, and he loves us, and he would do it individually for each one of us. So he did it from the beginning. He gave his son for us, and he is going to pursue you at any cost. He's going to pursue you. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells this story about how much he will pursue you. If you had 100 sheep, he says... And one of them strayed away and was lost in the wilderness. Wouldn't you leave the 99 others to go and search for the, last one, the lost one until you found it? And, when you would, and then you would joyfully carry it home and on, and on your shoulders. When you arrived, you would call together your friends and your neighbors to rejoice with you because you had, your lost sheep was found. In the same way, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. When did he leave you? When did he leave for the 99 for you? We've all gone through times in our life where we've rebelled, where we've made some poor choices, where we've decided you know what, I don't know about this Christian thing. I don't know about this God thing. I don't know about trying to live right anymore. But after all, nobody else lives this way. And I, I want to go out and do my own thing. I want to live the way I want to live. I don't want to seek his counsel. I don't want to listen to his word. I don't want to go to church. I mean, we have all been in, in some season of our life where we felt that way. I know for me, I was, I was young, I was in high school, and I had grown up in a Christian church. I, I remember receiving Christ when I was like seven years old. I got baptized when I was like eight. And uh, I had this incredible 
family that, that loved me and we always went to church and we always had just this, these great memories of, 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 of God and, and church and, and going to, to Sunday school together and being in youth group. I had that my whole life. And then one day when I was about 17, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start doing my own thing. Yeah, God, I still love you, but I'm going to, I think I'm going to start going and doing what everybody else does. So I did, man. I jumped into the party scene. I jumped to try to in, in that popular scene. And uh, I went out and, and it drank a lot. And I was, you know, with a lot of girls. And I just, you know, felt like, hey, you know what? I'm going to go sow my wild oats before I get out of high school. And I did that for a while. And it was interesting because as I was doing that, I always had the Holy Spirit whispering to me, what are you doing? Is that really these really the choices you want to make? Are you sure you want to go down that road? It's so much so that I began to compromise with God. I remember doing it. I remember like, okay, God, uh, okay, so I'll, I'll stop drinking, but I'm still going to go to the parties because, I, you know, I want to be social. I want to be able to hang out with my friends. So I'll stop drinking, but I, but I still want to do that. And so I started compromising, which we do, right? We, we think it's a negotiation. And so I remember this so clearly, but I was 17, I was a junior in high school, we had just got through doing uh, a football banquet, uh, and after the football banquet, uh, we were going out, and we heard that a couple of our friends were going to get in a fight, and we wanted to go watch it, which is so stupid, because the, the thing about fighting, and you guys will know this, is in your mind, when you get in a fight, you think, all right, man, jab, jab, you know, bring it, man, first punch, come on. I'm going to give you a hook. I'm going to give you an uppercut. I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to lay you out. Talking big, right? But the fight starts and it's like. <laughs> There's nothing cool about fighting. I've never walked away from a fight and said, wow, they look so cool doing that. No, you always look stupid, and it never solves anything. But we were going, and we were going to go watch our two friends fight. And I remember we went out. It was at night. We were still dressed up in our suits from the football banquet because we'd all dressed up. And we were out in this place uh, where I grew up, and they had all the cars. Man, whew, fighting takes it out of you. <sighs> but we were out in this parking lot, and they had all the trucks uh, and cars uh, parked in a circle with their headlights on. And these two guys were in the middle of this circle fighting. And it looked like that. It was so stupid, so dumb. And so I looked at uh, my friends. I'm like, hey, guys, come on. Let's go. This is so dumb. This is so ridiculous. So I walk off, and I start going back towards the car. Well, I thought they were with me. I thought they were behind me because I heard people behind me. And I got all the way back to the vehicle, and I turned around, and the lights, the glare from the lights was in my eyes. And I thought that my friends were getting ready to get in the car with me, and then all of a sudden I just felt somebody hit me. And I had to figure out what was going on, who was it that hit me, figure out where they were, and then I started struggling with this individual and fighting with them. And I, I didn't know who they were. I didn't know why they were punching me but I was in dress shoes and we were on gravel and so I kept falling to the ground as I was struggling with this person and every time I'd fall to the ground somebody else would start kicking me while I was on the ground 
And so I knew if I didn't stand up, I was not going to last very long in this fight. So I kept working myself up, and then we would fight, we would struggle, I would fall down again, and then this other guy would start kicking me. And uh, so eventually the crowd from that fight came over to our fight. And about three quarters of the way into the fight, I finally realized who it is. And I didn't find out till later the reason he jumped me was because he thought I was dating his girlfriend, which I wasn't. So it was absolutely a mistake and, and, and miscommunication. But as I was struggling with him the last time, I, I, I've started to feel myself fall again, and my feet slipped out from underneath me, and he fell on top of me. And as soon as he did, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't feel anything. Well, come to find out, I'd broke my back in two places. And at that moment, I knew that, hey, there's something really wrong with me. I, I fell back. He kept, st- he kept punching me. Couldn't even feel it. And then the people around us pulled him off. and was like, hey, he's had enough. He's had enough. And uh, uh, they got down to me, and they picked me up. Because at this point, the, the, the cops had shown up. So the sirens were coming, the red and blue lights. So they picked me up, and they throw me in the back of this van. Uh, guys, I didn't even know. And I said, what do you, what do you want? Where, 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 where do you want to go? And I go, I guess just bring me back to my truck at the conference center where the banquet was. So they brought me back. They opened up the back of the van, and I, could, I couldn't move. I couldn't even get out of the van. So they're like, no, dude, you're going to the hospital. So they brought me to the hospital, did the x-rays, did all that stuff, found out, you know, what was wrong with me. And I was in the hospital for a couple weeks, and then I was out of school for almost a semester. And... When you are in that kind of situation, God has your undivided attention. And he started to speak to me. And he said things like, I I was warning you. I was trying to show you that the life that you wanted and were living was was dangerous. Something like this could happen. And even though you weren't drinking and you you said you weren't going to drink, it didn't matter because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I've had to suffer with these back issues ever since. It's chronic. I, I deal with them all the time as a result of my poor choices. But now I can look at that situation and I could go back and I could shake those guys' hands and say, thank you. Thank you because of what you did to me, it caused me to slow down enough and listen to God enough to where I changed everything I was doing. I knew that that was not the life for me. And it was on that hospital bed where I surrendered my life to full-time ministry. And I'm like, God, if, if you get me off this table, if you get me off this bed, I'll serve you my whole life. But I don't know that I would have ever said that if I hadn't gone through it. God recklessly loved me. God left the 99 for his lost sheep. He was going to pursue me at all costs. There's a worship song that we sing here at Fellowship called Reckless Love. And man, every time we sing it, oh, it just blesses me. Because it feels like God's love song to me. Now, reckless means without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action. And the writer of this song explains it this way. He says, when I use the phrase, the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. I am, however, saying that the way he loves us is in many regards quite so. What I mean is this. 
He is utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regards to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, all things considered, it's quite childlike. It might even suggest sometimes downright ridiculous. His love bankrupted heaven for you. His love doesn't consider himself first. His love isn't selfish or self-serving. He doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. He simply gives himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back at him and offer ourselves in return. He will pursue you at all costs. And then when you come back home, He'll celebrate your return. We see this in one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's the story of the prodigal son. And in this story, there was a kid, thought he knew it all, thought he knew how to handle things. And he decides, you know what, Dad, I don't need you anymore. I don't want your money. Just give me my inheritance now so I can go live my own life. So the father said, all right, you can have it. So he goes off and he starts living the crazy life. He starts living and making stupid choices to the point where he loses all of his money. And before he knows it, he's actually eating with the pigs. And he decides at that point, I need to go back home. My life is such a mess. I'm wrong and I need to be back with my family. And that's where the Bible picks up in Luke 15, 20. The Bible says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you, both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Some of us have prodigals of our own. We have kids that are running from God, that are making poor choices, that are doing things that we never taught them to do. And we, we, we question ourselves, were we good parents? Did we do the right thing? Should we have done this differently? What should we have done? And the reality is, is a prodigal is a prodigal. And it may not matter at all what his upbring, uh, him or her upbringing is. If they're going to run, they're going to run. And we pray as parents, just bring them home. This father, it says... He saw him from a long ways away. How did he see him from a long ways away? That means he was looking for him. That means that every day he was praying for him. Every day he was looking to the horizon saying, bring my boy back. And that's what we pray for our own kids. And as a father or a mother to a prodigal child, we would never see that kid coming. And as they approach us, we would never say, no, 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 no. You really screwed up. Sorry. Not going to give you a hug. Not going to embrace you. Not going to help you. Not going to let you in my home because you made some stupid choices. As a parent, would you ever do that? No. Because of that love that you have for them. And your heavenly father 
is the same way. He'll leave the 99 for the one, and he will uh, celebrate his return when he comes. God is just that way. Now, for me, I never could really grasp that unconditional love. I always thought that if I lived right and if I was being a good boy, a good person, that God would love me more. The unconditional love part, couldn't grasp. I just thought for sure that if I could live better, if I could stay away from that sin, if I, just, if, if I could just be a, the right kind of Christian, then God would love me more. Then he would accept me. Yet God loves you just the way you are. Yeah, but Tim, you don't know what I did last night. I, I went out and made a fool of myself. I did the stupidest thing. It doesn't change God's love for you. Wouldn't change your love for your own child. Now, you may not like their actions, but you still love them. God's love for you is unconditional. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter what you did before you came to church this morning. He loves you just the way you are. He loves you so much, he wants to spend forever with you. Now, that's crazy because you think, man, I don't know if I'd want to spend eternity with my family, my friends. But God loves us so much, he created us to spend eternity with him. And not only that, but he's not going to allow anything to separate us from him. I love that. The scripture says, and this is also in the message translation in Romans chapter 8. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? Don't you love that? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by, the, by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? He's already sacrificed his son for you. Wouldn't he do anything else? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Your heavenly father has got your back. He's going to protect you. Who would dare even to point a finger, the Bible says. The one who died for us, who raised us to life, uh, who raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Jesus is in God's presence, interceding on our behalf, praying on our behalf. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, no trouble, no hard times, no hatred, no hunger, not homelessness, no bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. And if you skip down a couple more lines, it says, none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced, Paul said, that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And not only that, but God loves us so much that he sings and dances over us. 
Zephaniah 3.16 says, For the Lord your God has arrived to live among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will rejoice over you with great gladness with his love. He will, he will calm all your fears. He will exult over you by singing a happy song. Exult actually is translated to dance, skip, leap, and spin around in joy. That's what God is doing over us. That's what Jesus is doing over us. He's celebrating over us. Several years ago, uh, my family got to go on a family cruise together. It was my parents' 65th anniversary. Our kids were pretty young. I would say Madeline was probably, oh, five or so, and, and Lindsay was probably about seven. And we go on this cruise, and one of the ports is Barbados. Now, Barbados is a little sketchy. Sorry, Rihanna, but it's a little sketchy, Okay. So we're out on the beach, and uh, we're having this great time, and everybody's just loving life, and it's just a surreal day, and it's so beautiful. And we get uh, to the end of the day, and we have to go catch the shuttle back to the boat. So uh, we're all rounding everything up, and, and I, had, you know, I had my sister and brother-in-law and, and my mom and my dad, and all, you know, just a big family group there. And uh, I was supposed to uh, be the end of the line. I was the one that was kind of making sure everybody got to a place. We had somebody who was at the beginning of the line, and we were marching everybody back to the bus. Well, because I was last and I was trying to get everything gathered together, I was a little slower than everybody else. And so I was putting my shoes on and I take off and I'm a little bit behind the group. Well, Madeline was second to last. And when she was walking behind the person in front of her, she was just walking, just looking at her feet in the sand, just had some stuff in her hands. And she didn't realize that at a point, our family took a left and walked up towards the resort to catch the bus. Well, she just kept walking straight. Just walking straight with her head down. Then I came along, and by the time I got to the bus, I didn't realize we didn't know where Madeline was. And so my wife looked at me and said, where's Madeline? And I'm like, I thought she was with you. Rebecca said, I thought she was with you. And you know how you get that feeling as a parent of, oh, no. I mean, I've done that in Walmart alone, but this is like Barbados, okay? We have no idea what's going on with our daughter. And so we panic, and we start praying, and we start crying, and we start looking all over the place, and we're frantic. And of course, it seems like it's an hour before we find her. It probably is only about 10 minutes. But within those 10 minutes, we were so scared that something could have happened to our precious little girl. We were so scared. We were all just searching for her frantically. And thank God she had seen uh, uh, somebody. She had a, we had a little bracelets that showed that we were from a certain cruise line. And she somebody, saw somebody else on the beach that had that same bracelet and went up to him and said, Hey, I'm on the same cruise ship as you. I don't know where my mom and dad are. And so this lady helped her find us. Now know this. When we saw her, oh my gosh, what a sense of relief. Like we leapt, we danced, we were so happy because our daughter had been reunited with us. And we, man, there was nothing like the feeling of knowing that your kids are okay when you thought something had happened to them. And that's the way God is with us. He dances and skips and leaps and spins around in joy because he loves us so much. And not us as a group, but us individually. Now, for many of us, we've never been able to really, really grasp onto the fact that God really loves us. So what I want to do this morning is have everybody stand. And all of you that usually worship down front, come on back down front. All of you guys that usually worship down front, come down front. And then if you 
feel like you just need an extra touch from God this morning, like if you just really want to experience his love, as a step of faith, would you come out and would you just join these guys down here? Because this song, Reckless Love, to me, is like God's love song to us. And when we sing it, we're proclaiming the fact that we understand and we accept his love. And as you're coming forward this morning, I know that there are tons of you that are going through something right now where you need God's love. You need to feel his presence more than anything else. You've got stuff happening, and I'm telling you right now, don't stay in your seat. Get down here and experience what God can do for you, how he can minister to you. And I pray, Lord, as we're making our way forward, that nobody would be afraid of coming forward to sing to you. And that, Lord God, that you would just absolutely demolish any stronghold, any lie in our minds right now that has said that we aren't worthy of God's love, that we don't deserve God's love, that we will never feel God's love. In Jesus' name, those are lies from the pits of hell. Those are strongholds. And your word says that those those strongholds can be demolished. They can be wiped out. And I pray in Jesus' name that they would be. And I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would now expose our mind to the truth. To the truth, to the words of this song. That we really could see what your love looks like. That we can really feel it. Maybe for the first time. Come on forward, guys. Make more room. Come all the way up to the front so we can make room for people to come up and worship. No shadow he won't light up. Now, when we're running, we usually run to the shadows. We run to escapism, forms of sin, to make us feel better. We run from the truth. We run from people that we know that love us. And when stress comes, when depression comes, or loneliness comes, sometimes those shadows are pretty appealing. God wants to light them up. Sin loses its power when you drag it into the light. Sin loses its power when you drag it into the light. Now, for some of you this morning, this is all totally new to you. You've never started a relationship with Christ. Never had that introduction. Maybe you've heard of him before. Maybe you've had people talk to you about him before, but you've never experienced God's love because you've never made the introduction. You can't love somebody until you've been introduced to him. And you've never really felt that love because you haven't been locked in to the God of love, the creator of it. So before we go any further this morning, I want us to make sure that there is not a person in here that has not been introduced to Christ. Maybe you think, well, I think I have. Make sure. Well, I might have when I was little. Make sure. I might have when I was confirmed or when I it was baptized I was little. I, I'm not sure. If you're not sure, do it again. God's not going to go, what are you doing, you stupid little Christian? You already received Christ once. He loves you. All that's going to do is just say, oh, wow, they're rededicating themselves to me. Oh, I love them even more. So let's just make sure we get that locked in right now. So 
as a church family, even if you've been saved before, let's say this prayer together. And for those of you that are saying this prayer for the first time, say it and mean it. And just repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I choose right now to receive you as my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and you rose again that I might have eternity with you in Jesus' name. There's the introduction. For you, many of you, it's like you turned on a light for the first time and the bulb worked. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would manifest your love in this place. Holy Spirit, that you would fill us to overflowing and that you would help us to feel your love maybe for the first time. Now, for those of you that have been hiding in the shadows, what I would like for you to do is just ask for forgiveness for that. Whatever it is that you have in your life right now that you need to ask for forgiveness for, just ask for forgiveness. Forgive me for watching things I shouldn't watch. Forgive me for my anger issues. Forgive me for my gossip. Forgive me for drinking too much. Forgive me for not being the husband I should be or the wife that I should be. Forgive me for not being the parent I should be. Forgive me for not being the student, the, ch- the kid that I should be. Whatever it is, just ask for forgiveness. And when you do that, the blood of Christ washes it away. There's nothing between you and the Lord. He loves you so much. Now I want you just to personally ask the Holy Spirit to let you feel God's love. Just ask Him. Nothing big enough, nothing mighty enough that he won't kick down coming after you. No lie, no stronghold that you believed your whole life that he won't annihilate, obliterate, destroy so you can see the truth. He loves you that much. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. 
I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my Savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.